0: Amen, amen. Good morning, Temple. Good morning. You know, when you have to preach three times, this is what uh, the boss told me. I got to preach three times. The first one, you know, you want to start well and you want to preach well because, you know, so you're under pressure because you want to have a good start. The third one, you're under pressure because you want to finish well, right? But this is the middle one. And the middle one, you're under pressure because my mother in law is sitting in the audience. So everywhere I turn, there's pressure. Let me pray and ask for God's help. We'll jump in. Father God, we love you. We want you to hear that from our lips this day. You are a great God. And we've come to sit at your feet and be fed. And so you are the attraction. Let me get out of the way. Father, I acknowledge that I need your help. I really do. I'm not worthy of the task nor capable, so help me. Say what you want to say. If I say something that's not of you, may that just quickly fall away, be forgotten. But uh, come, Lord Jesus, and minister to us this day, we pray, for the glory of our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. The task at hand this morning that I've been assigned based on the text is a gospel workplace. A gospel workplace. We're going to talk about what it means to live out Jesus in the place where you uh, work, your vocational place. And so Paul talks about that here as we continue in this series in Ephesians. And uh, we're going to look at just a handful of verses here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 5, hear the word of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, Rendering service with will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever, whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is God's word. Raise your hand this morning if you have ever had or you currently have a job. Just about all of us. A few rich royals here that have never worked. And it doesn't take you too long to uh, realize once you enter the workplace that sometimes work is difficult, right? And sometimes it's not, doesn't feel like a lot of fun and, it, and you know, and it's arduous and it's, it's challenging and we've all had jobs where we felt like that and where we read there, um, it tells us, you know, with fear and trembling, well, that's of no surprise because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, the message translates verse 18 you will be working in pain all your life long after the fall, right? That work is difficult at times, it seems. And for many of us, we come to a place early in our working life and where there, we, we live in sort of this tension or this divide, right? We live in two worlds sometimes. We, we live in a world of sometimes the spiritual and the secular. And, and it can be identified in regards to our work in terms like, well, Sunday is worship day and Monday's work day. Uh, even more subtle than that is you'll hear people say, well, you know, it's Friday, but Sunday is what? Is coming, right? And we get this sort of what I believe is an unhealthy and unbiblical perspective of a divide between what is the sacred and what is the secular. And we begin to think, well, you know, the Sunday is, you know, the spiritual, and Monday to Friday is the secular, and there's not a lot redemptive and restorative in my work week, and that should not be. So this morning what we're going to attempt to do is to clean the slate Because that's what Paul is doing here. He he is speaking in radically countercultural terms about how we are to function in the workplace. And if you've been in the workplace for any length of time, you will know that uh, what we've just read is not typical of most workplaces. Now, before we unpack this, I want to remind you of the words of Jesus in John 8, verse 36. They'll be familiar to most of you. So, if the sun sets you free, what does it say? You are what? You are free indeed. And part of that freedom is expanded upon in Romans 6, verse 18, and having been set free from sin, we have become slaves of righteousness. In other words, friends... As we enter into this looking at work and the workplace and vocation counterculturally, let us remember as followers of Jesus that in life, as a Christian, you are now free to act right when everything around you is wrong. You do not have to default to the cultural norms and act in the way that the culture would dictate as that which is normative. You get to act differently, right? As a Christian. So even in the workplace, when everything around you is wrong, in Christ we are able to rightly act in the midst of that being so wrong. And if you don't get that squared away in your head, then the rest of this is going to be really difficult. Okay, So let's look at our verses. Verse 5, Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now, we've all likely had a boss, supervisor, employer, a master, some point in your life, and the fear and trembling was no problem. You ever had a boss like that? Where you're like, oh boy, I hope the boss shows up today as nice boss, not as angry boss, unpredictable boss, crabby boss. We've all had bosses where the fear and trembling was no problem at all, right? We've had that experience where a boss, an employer, a supervisor is not that hard to is, is hard to relate to. And the first part of that verse with fear and trembling, we say, yeah, I can resonate with that. I can, I can relate to that. No problem there. But then with a sincere heart, and then notice: as you would, Christ. And you may be here this morning saying, you know, the boss I have, the supervisor I have, you know, in no way, shape, or form are they like Christ. I mean, they, they don't, there's no pastoral, caring element about them. There's, there's no shepherding element about them. They're just difficult and challenging to work for. I, I don't find anything that that takes me and reminds me and impresses upon me that, that I'm actually to do this work for this boss in a way that would honor and reflect my relationship with Jesus, that's almost beyond comprehension. The first job that I, uh, well, not the first first, but one of the first, the most meaningful job that I had as a young teenager was I got a job at Canadian Tire. Now that's a man's job, right? Canadian tire. And uh, I was, I've always been interested in, um, in um, things that are mechanical and wrenching and fixing things. That's always been kind of my things. I have funny things happen at my house, like Baptist pastors will show up with pool pumps that need to be fixed, stuff like that. And uh, so I've always been interested in mechanical things, those kinds of things, Right? So I got a job selling car parts at Canadian Tire, and I was hoping to get a job out in the shop, you know, where you get to hammer on things and get covered in grease, stuff like that. And I liked that job. The man that owned that Canadian Tire, he was a tough customer. He was sort of a bigger-than-life, dominant, hard veneer, no-nonsense, all-business kind of guy, and all of us teenagers were kind of scared of him. And we knew best to stay clear of them. Well, one day, that boss, that owner of that Canadian tire, took it upon himself to humiliate and embarrass and crush me in front of about a dozen workers, co-workers, and a handful of customers. And he just... Flatten me, and you know when you're 16 and you're insecure, you know you just you know I didn't get these boyish good looks till I was older, and uh, so you know you're you know you you just you just you're just crushed, right? And and so what that did to me was that made me angry, and you know anger when it's not processed turns into bitterness, and I began to loathe that job, and I didn't like him and I didn't like any of the other bosses, and I had a bad attitude, and I was going to do the minimum. And anything that Paul has just written about in Ephesians 6 was not on my radar, and it got worse and worse until finally one day we had a standoff, and I took a defiant stand, and I said, I'm not going to do that. And in Baptist terms, they said, okay, and they extended to me the left foot of fellowship which meant that I was no longer employed there. I I got fired. It's the only job I've been fired from. Others I probably should have been fired from, but that was the only one I was fired from. And I said, okay, fine, you're jerks. This place is full of jerks, and I'm out of here. And I dusted the dust off my feet, and out I went. Now, I should tell you that at this stage of my life, I was not living as a free man. So I wasn't free to live in a way different than the culture dictated. And if you're in a situation like that... Look down to verse 7, and let me read verses 5 and 7 together. We'll come back to verse 6. It's kind of a parenthetical insert there by Paul. We will come back to it, but let me combine 5 and 7 together. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Verse 7, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Yikes. Yikes. So, let's get our heads around that. What Paul is saying, that in your work, functionally, you may be serving an earthly master, but ultimately, you're serving the Lord. Amen? Ultimately, you're serving the Lord. So, let's just talk about that for a minute. Let's get our heads around that. Complete this verse for me, Temple. In the beginning, God... You know what that tells us? That tells us that God is a worker. God works. His creation is His work and he does it so excellently. His work for God's not arduous, it was glorious. In fact, each day that he does his work, his creative work, when he's done at the end of the day he looks at his day's work and what does he say? It is what? Good. Oh, God said, yeah that's good. Look what I've done. Look at my work. And then on the sixth day, when he creates, arguably, his greatest masterpiece, which is us, the human person, we are his workmanship, his poemma, his work of art. On that day, he looks and he acknowledges it, and he doesn't say it's good. He says it's what? It's very good. He worked. It was immensely and beautifully productive and then he rested. And his creative work is part of the hallmark of his glory, right? When you see a rainbow in the sky, when you see flowers blossoming, do you say, way to go, God. Do you ever think of when you get to heaven, God may say, hey, I got a color I've never showed you. Did you ever think of that? When you see the hallmarks of His glory in creation, you should say, way to go, God. Your work is so great. It's so excellent. So incomparable. And friends, the human person was in His wondrous creation created in part to be image bearers of God. Therefore, we were created with work in mind as part of that image-bearing, to be productive and creative, to be reflective of our Creator God. How many of you like gardening? Some people like gardening, right? That's carrying on, participating with God in His creative work. You can't do it without Him. But but that's part of realizing that. In fact, in Genesis 2.5, we realize that in the midst of God creating, he he said to himself, you know what? There's no man to work the ground. This is well before the fall, to join with him in his creative endeavors. And and he's not done. In Genesis uh, 2.15, he says in verse 16, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work and to keep it. We were created with work in mind. Now, without a doubt, this is before the fall made such a mess of things and in so many ways ruined the default joy and communion and reflection of God that we should naturally find in our work. But let us be certain of this. God created us. For the joy and delight of deep satisfaction in our work. Even I believe we should be able to look at our work and at the end of the day say, as the Father said, it is good. Right? Look what I've done today. It is good. It is good. And in that work, we should demonstrate and reflect God's excellence and his diligence and his glory to all of those who look upon us as we work. That's why in 2 Thessalonians 3:10 Paul writes this, you're probably familiar with the verse, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not what? eat. See, I don't think Paul is exclusively talking about the issue of laziness, like if you're not willing to work, then you should not eat because that's laziness. I actually think God is also talking about the reality that if you're not willing to work, not only are you embracing laziness, but you are stepping away from godliness because God is a worker. God's actually a worker. And so the reason why you should work is it's a reflection of godliness. Now, he's not talking about people that can't work. There's always people that can't work. He's talking about an unwillingness to work. And so if you're keeping notes, anytime we simply, uh, excuse me, anytime we uh, amplify and clarify the image of God in us, we are serving the Lord. Did you know If you amplify and clarify the image of God in us, we are serving the Lord, including doing God honoring work. Look down, if you will, to verse number eight. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Let's look at that. Whatever you do, if it's good, you're going to receive back from the Lord. You ever feel like your work doesn't matter? You ever felt that way? Uh, How many people here have worked in fast food restaurant? Anybody here worked in a fast food restaurant, fast food restaurant? Yeah, a few people. Some of you have been delivered. That's God's common grace in your life. Okay. (laughs) Fast food, you know, pickle, mustard, ketchup, (laughs) next, pickle, Mustard, ketchup, next. (laughs) And you feel like it's just the cha chink, cha chink, cha chink, and it doesn't matter at all. And you feel unnoticed and underappreciated. And in many cases, you might even feel underpaid. Well, Paul is telling us that the problem when we get into those places, is that we're mired in the immediate task and not in the ultimate contribution. As a worker, friends, when you do your best and with excellence and as unto the Lord, you have no idea what difference that work will make. Cause and effect are often not closely related in kingdom work. When I was pastoring over the years, I would be out different places, and somebody say, hey, aren't you the pastor Someone at Forward Church? I'd say, yeah, okay. And they'd say, oh, I, 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 I own a company, or I run a business, and, and one of the people from your church works for me. And I'd say, oh, okay. And, and, the, and then they would say this. <laughs> sometimes they would say that, that you're thinking, but no, this is, this is sometimes what they would say. They'd say, you know what? That woman is one of the best workers I've ever had. Man, if I could clone her, I'd make a dozen of her. Or that guy, oh my goodness, he always goes above and beyond. He's got such a great attitude. Man, I just, I just love that guy. And as a pastor, hey, Pastor John, your heart just soars when you hear that. Your heart just, now, why is that? Like, why is that such a wonderful thing, right? Because you can say, you know, what they're doing in that way of working, and this is what Paul is talking about, is they're bringing about a gospel workplace. The boss is actually using the words of the Father of God, and the boss is acknowledging that the work that they do is good. And I just say, wow, way to go. Way to go. And, and, you know, I would think, you know, that employer is actually keeping accounts. Now, at other times, people would tell me they're working in exceedingly difficult conditions, you know, difficult circumstances, and, and they'd feel like their boss could care less about what they did and whatnot. But I would have people tell me this, you know what, but I actually feel called to this place and to this work especially over the last year and a half, some, I've talked to people and they say, man, I'm doing this work and, oh, it is tough going, but I just feel like I'm called to this. This is my place. So in some cases, the boss is keeping score and in some cases, the boss is not keeping score. But what's really important is the Lord is keeping score of your faithful service. If it's done in a God-honoring way, the Lord notices your toil and even your tears. And when you soldier on, even when it's tough, and, and you may be discouraged and disappointed, you may be downright angry, but when you keep on keeping on in Christ-like character, the Lord says, way to go. Way to go. And this is a continuing theme, friends, for Paul, Right? who's faced immense obstacles, disappointments, desertion, incarceration, as he lived out and pursued his vocation. But he writes in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, if we do not give up. 1 Corinthians nine twenty four Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run, so that you may obtain it. Keep on, because the Lord is keeping score. Look down to verse number 9, friends. We're going to change gears a little bit here to you who are bosses in the workplace. Owners, managers, supervisors. Anybody here ever been a boss? Maybe you're a boss now. This is for you. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Just by way of context, in the first century world, masters, employers would exercise authority over their workers in very absolute and often unkind ways. They would have, uh, be very threatening, physically uh, beating, sexual harassment. That's not a new thing. It's been around for a very long time. Even in some cases where they would employ entire families, if they didn't feel like the family was doing what they wanted to do, they would sell off a family member and say, "Now you don't fall in line, I'll sell off another one. Can you imagine? All unpleasant. And Paul's saying, and if you're a Christian boss, employer, business owner, manager, that that's ungodly. And he's saying the gospel does not allow a Christ-following employer to act as such because you as well as your employers are to realize your ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. And the Lord is taking notice. And so he denounces all forms of manipulating and demeaning and terrifying your workers. Because look at the, the bond servants, the worker has just been instructed to show respect and sincerity of heart and goodwill, and now the masters are to do the same. And sometimes I have heard Christian Business men and women. And they make a distinction between the spiritual world and the business world. And let me just say this if you're able to do that, you have a vastly inadequate understanding of the gospel. Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore, if any was anyone is in Christ, he is a what? new creation, the old has passed away. Everything's changed. Everything has changed. Old things have passed away. Some of you know that uh, Forward had a missionary many years ago, 1981, by the name of Kos Fichi that was martyred in Thailand. He was killed by an assassin, actually. And what happened was uh, Kos, who was uh, just a relentless preacher of the gospel, just bold in his faith, he knew that In Thailand, the forces of evil against him and against the gospel were pretty significant, and he knew that his life was in danger, but he felt he needed to go back, and he went back, and he was out preaching in a village on a Sunday night service, and after he preached in that village, he went back to the pastor's house, and while sitting on the front porch, a man came up and assassinated him right there, ushered him into eternity. The man that assassinated him was hired by a businessman in that town. This businessman owned sort of the general store in that little town where everybody went to buy stuff. And so the people that worked there and the people in the village there, they would run up tabs. Now, if you're really old like me, you might remember an old song that went, I owe my soul to the company store. Right? Which meant that, you know, they bought stuff, you know, these miners bought stuff at the company store and you never got out from under it. You owed your soul, right? And they just pile on the interest. Well, in this little village, this businessman, he, all these people owned, owed their soul to his business and everything. What happened was the businessman's wife heard the gospel from Kos and gave her life to Christ and realized that what they were doing was ungodly. So she took the big book, this was long before computers, the big book that had all the accounts and what everybody owed, and she burned it, cleared the slate. And that so infuriated the husband, he hired an assassin to kill the missionary who'd preached the gospel to his wife. So employers, everything should change. Radically, wonderfully, irresistibly change Look at the last part of the verse, that there is no partiality with Him. Paul is reminding us that regardless of our uh, earthly position, we'll all give a heavenly account. Amen? And it does not matter what role you fill in the hierarchy of earthly employment. Whatever you do, Paul writes in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, what does this mean, practically speaking? Let me speed up. We've got to keep going. What does this mean, practically speaking? Let's go back to verse 6, and I'm going to read verse 5 and 6 together. We jumped over verse 6, but let me combine those and give you the context, because verse 6 expands verse 5. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, Look at verse 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So let's unpack that. Not with eye service. You know what that is? That's being a schmoozer. You ever worked with a schmoozer? Here's the boss. Hi, boss. It's good to see you, boss. Oh, you're such a good boss. Oh, you're leaving now, boss? Okay, bye, boss. Okay, he's gone. Right? Right? That's, that's doing the th- right things while people are watching, while people are looking. Men-pleasers, saying the right things when the boss is around only to try and earn favor. How different we are to be as Christians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, aspire to live qual- quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands, as we instructed you. Why? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul is saying, you know, the way you work is part of your witness. It's a big part of your witness in the workplace. Not with eye service means you have a solid work ethic. It means you do more than is required or expected with a good attitude. Because a good attitude, ethic, a good work ethic with a bad attitude is self-defeating, right? You know, you work hard and everything, but you got a lousy attitude. The opposite is true as well, right? The opposite is true too. You can have a great attitude, but you're lazy on the job. That's self-defeating as well. And so, you know, you live differently. You work differently. You don't get involved in the gossip at work. You don't spear the boss or bash the company. So what does that mean? That means that work ethic plus work attitude equals credibility. Work ethic plus work attitude equals credibility. Let me just say this. On the odd occasion over the years that I've been in ministry, somebody would say this to me. You know, I hate my job. I'd say, oh, really? Yep. And I hate my boss. I'd say, oh, really? Yep. And the company I work for is terrible. I hate that company. I'd say, oh, yeah, okay. But I'm going to start a Bible study at work. <laughs> and I'm like, no, actually, please don't. I beg you, don't. In fact, don't even tell them you're a Christian. And don't tell them you go to this church. And don't tell them you know me. <laughs> right? Because it's self-defeating. You've got to have this good, godly work attitude, and a good godly work ethic, and then that brings about credibility first and foremost. That's what Paul's talking about here. Secondly, what you do is not nearly as important as how you do it. Whatever you do, be the absolute best at it you can be. Do it with excellence because excellence honors God and it inspires people. I love watching people who do things with excellence. I don't care what it is. I don't care what it is. I love people who are really good at whatever they do. And you know what I found, and maybe you have found this. uh, Sometimes I'll watch somebody and I'll watch the way they work and the way they do their work and their attitude to their work. And I can remember, actually, I thought of this between the two services. I can remember being in a hotel, I think it was in San Diego, California. And there was this lady, she was a Latino, and she was cleaning the rooms and she was coming down. Now, if you're a Christian, when you see people cleaning hotel rooms, you should stop and say, thank you for the work you do for the clean hotel room. Because you know what they get? They get crabby, entitled people. Thank them. This lady came down the hall. She was singing in Spanish and working. And the room that, because she was coming down my hall, my room was immaculate, perfect. You know, the toilet paper folded fancy? Are you kidding me? And I said to this lady, She was singing, you know, in Spanish, singing away and everything. And I said, "Uh, are you speaking? Oh, yes, you know, it's just kind of broken. I said, I think that you are a Christian. And she said, yes, I am. How did you know? And I said, because your work ethic and your work attitude was amazing. Doesn't matter what you do. Do it to the glory of God with joy and enthusiasm. And Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.10, that is why we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God. We've got our eyes fixed on eternity, amen? Each day that you go to work, Say, Lord, this day may I be your ambassador. May my words bring life and hope and truth. May my attitude be one of kindness and long-suffering. And may my work this day be a testimony of the excellence and greatness of you whom I serve this day. Finally, claim your workplace for Christ by staying and praying. Claim your workplace for Christ by staying and praying. You know what often happens? I, I, people say this to me. They, I say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good. Uh, how's things going? Well, you know, pretty good. But oh, my job. My job's not going good. Oh, it's not. Eh? What are you going to do? I'm just going to... What do you think they say? Quit. Just going to quit. And throw the towel in. What if you've been ordained by God to be a missionary to that workplace? Do you know it can be as kingdomly important to be a missionary at McDonald's as it is to be a missionary at Myanmar? It can be every bit as kingdom important to be a painter as it is to be a pastor. We've got to get rid of this secular-sacred divide, right? If you are in a place that is tough, that could be because breakthrough is pending. God is getting ready to do something. But remember, you have to stick it out. You can't quit. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament, amen? Tough, 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 tough. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. If you're going to make an impact in your gospel workplace, you've got to stay and you've got to pray. Let me share a story and I'm done. Five years ago, next month, August the first weekend, civic holiday weekend. So, 2016, five years ago, <clears throat> I'm sitting at home on my deck. It was a humid day, like it is today. I'm, I got here early this morning, so is it pretty humid out? It was like yesterday. Remember how humid it was yesterday? It was like you know, I laid down, my belly button filled with water. That's probably an image. <laughs> that's probably an image you really didn't need, eh? Boys, oh boys. When's the last time you heard belly button in a sermon? Right? Probably a while. Huh? It was just relentlessly humid, right? This is this, this five years ago, August 1st weekend. Sunday night, I preached a couple times in the morning. I'm sitting on my deck, relaxing, enjoying, and my phone, bing, you know, my phone bings, and it's an email from a man in the, the church, and he says, uh, please pray, my father has gone missing. Oh, wow, so I thought, well, I, should, I better phone him. Like, get, you know, so I phone him, I said, oh, what's going on? He says, well, my mom and dad, who were in their 80s, they went out this morning, they, they weren't church-going people, but my mom and dad, in their 80s, went out this morning, and they went to Churchill Park. So everybody know where Churchill Park is, down there, go. They went to Churchill Park, and my mom went for a walk one way, and my dad went for a walk the other way, and they came, mom came back in half an hour, no dad. Waited an hour, no dad. Finally, she ended up calling the police. Police came, the police officers came on bicycles, rode all through the park, searched the park, so this is 7 o'clock or so at night. This is 8 o'clock in the morning when this happened. So he's been gone, like 10 hours. And I said, wow, that's, you know, and he said, yeah. He said, he said in fact, it's so serious, my mom is at home right now looking through the prepaid funeral arrangements. Because the police have said, you better prepare for the worst. This, this, is, not, this is not good. And now they've... Enlarge the search. They're not searching the park anymore. They're searching, you know, the neighborhood, down by the river and all this. So he was beside himself and everything. I said, listen, I grew up in that area of town. I know Churchill Park. I spent a lot of time as a teenager. I'll go down there and I'll look. you got to do something, right? No, I'm going to be straight up. Don't look at me and say, well, that's because he's a pastor. No, I didn't really want to go. I would have just soon sat on my deck, right? But I'm paid to be good. you got to be good for free. So... (laughs) So I decided to go. So I went down to Churchill Park, and I began to look. Now, if you know Churchill Park, there's a duck pond there. Everybody know? Anybody know? Geese, Canada geese, ducks and everything. And and oh my, if he just had a gun. Uh, but anyway, the, but there's these geese. Yeah, yeah there's geese everywhere. And every, so I'm walking around the duck pond, and, and I'm calling out his name and everything. And I got a gaggle of geese around, honk, honk, racket, noise, and everything. I'm walking along, and... Is anybody there? And all of a sudden, I said to myself, did I just hear a voice? So I, I left the path, and I kind of went through some brush, and there was a creek there, and on the other side of the creek, it's like jungle. I mean, it, you, you can't even move in there. And I looked about as far as that wall is, and I looked over there, and I said, is there something? I thought, man, did I hear something? You know, and I, how could I hear something? All the honk, 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 all the... And I looked and I looked and and I looked over there, and amidst all the green, I saw a little square of red. And I said, Is there somebody there? Is there somebody there? Honk, honk, honk. And I heard the faintest help, help. I said, Stay right there. I pulled my phone out. I phoned his son, who was actually at the other end of the park looking. I said, I found your dad. Then I phoned 911. Fire department came, police came, ambulance came, everybody came, including the police that had been looking for him from other areas that came. They had to chainsaw to get to him. He had been there all day, dehydrated, had a mild heart attack, had fallen, caught up, couldn't stand. Firefighters had to carry him out of there. Took him to the hospital, of course, and uh, spent weeks in hospital. His kidneys were messed up. The hospital said, if he would have spent the night, he'd be done, be gone. And you know, that was an interesting Sunday night for me. I'll tell you why. God was so kind to let me play a small role in that rescue. That hot, humid Sunday night five years ago was actually a second chance for me from God because that man that I found near death was the man who owned the Canadian Tire who 40 years earlier had berated me and embarrassed me and humiliated me. And God gave me a second chance to live out the words of the Apostle Paul and to serve him as I was serving Jesus. So let me tell you this morning, church, maybe this is the week where in your workplace you say, I got a second chance to claim my week for the cross. This workplace is going to be a place where I live out Jesus. In whatever that looks like, amidst however difficult it was, do that for His glory. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men, for His great glory. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Pastor John, the Lord bless you and keep you.